the fourfold purpose of a Christian marriage. It's actually heading in a different direction with the, with the teaching um, for today and then felt a real strong movement of the Holy Spirit in my heart to, to address this subject. And there's volumes and volumes written and preached about this subject. But what I want to do is sketch out just in broad brushstrokes the get a little bit more feedback than I want right now. Not from your audience. <laughs> um, the fourfold purpose of Christian marriage. There's uh, an attack on marriage in our day. And in broad brushstrokes, I want to share from Genesis a lot of the, I think, all of the main doctrines and main teachings of the Bible are found in seed form in Genesis. And there's some amazing teaching from this book. The New Testament says that these things were written, the Old Testament, to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. And if you're single today, don't be disappointed that I'm talking about marriage or don't feel like you're left out. Because uh, the Bible says that some people have the gift of marriage, a charisma, it's a charismatic gift, uh, anointing of the spirit, and some have an anointing for singleness. And those that have an anointing for marriage have a twofold purpose in their life, to live and serve God and their spouse through their whole life. And those that have the gift of singleness have a twofold purpose in their life, to serve God and God every day of their life, throughout their whole life. And there is nothing lost in your life if you have the gift of singleness. Now, if you have the gift of, feel like you have a gift of marriage and you want to be married and you're, you're single, you need to switch over to the side by just finding a spouse. <laughs> Don't wait for God to bring Cinderella to you or Prince Charming. Go find yourself a spouse. I'm not going to go into great detail how you can do that right now, but I, I will just say that there are online Christian sites now that, that, that we have had many people in our own congregation um, find an amazing wife or husband through, uh, through that method. And um, yeah, that's one way. So also in terms of introduction right now, this material is awesome. What I'm about to talk to you about are the oracles of God. And you will hear God's voice on my voice and in my voice. And my, my fervent prayer, my expectation, my joy is that you will hear God's word with this word today, his oracle. And all of us, the book of Hebrews says, you guys right there, By now, you should all be teachers, but you're not, so man up and be teachers. That's the new Mickelson version. <laughs> we're, we're all called in this day to be filled with the wisdom of God and the prophetic word of God 
and continually share it with, with groups of one or two or one or two thousand. Constantly, we have the wisdom of God. We have the word of God. We have the oracle of God that can bring wholeness, life, and health to people. So if you're single and you're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me, you're totally wrong. Hear this, embrace it, listen to it again, and own it for yourself. And then as you have opportunity, share this with other Christians, this stuff about Christian marriage. Now, we'll say this, that Christianity is a, evangelical Christianity, born againness, is a subculture. Not a subculture, sorry, a counterculture. We're not a subculture hiding behind closed doors. We're a counterculture interfacing with the culture at large with, with a face or a door or a gate so that when the world out there sees us, what they encounter are not primarily Christian ethics or political views, but supernatural peace that passes understanding to agree where people are in stunned shock that they know some of the difficulties sometimes even that we're going through in our life, but we have this, we have this quiet euphoria related to living primarily in the unseen world, the kingdom of heaven in the presence of Jesus, the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the affection of the Father. That's what they see, primarily. Or, I've said this many times, peace is joy resting and joy is peace dancing. So they interface with us and experience peace or they experience, when they encounter us, joy unspeakable and full of glory, the presence of God. So this is what people from the world have different definitions of marriage and of the reason for marriage and the reasons, and totally, I know you'll agree with me, they have different Values with regard to sexual identity and um, sexual experience, mores and rules governing sexual experience. Way different than the counterculture of Jesus' life. Way different. And I personally, you'll have to find your own way with this, but I personally... Don't feel an obligation to impose speaking in tongues on, on non-believers or tithing on unbelievers or imposing Christian ethics regarding marriage on unbelievers. I am totally into it for you for evangelical Christians, because the Bible clearly has a strong definition of marriage and boundaries for experience of, of sex for Jesus people. But, I'm, but I don't feel an obligation to try to change people before they're born again. I think God catches his fish before he cleans them. <laughs> and I think there is a cleaning that happens. I don't, have you noticed that? So, 
Diving right in, after that lengthy introduction. Number one, for a fourfold, fourfold purpose of Christian marriage. One, to profoundly express the infinitely beautiful image of God. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. A man is created fully in the image of God. Every guy is fully in the image of God. Every woman is fully in the image of God. And when God looks at a Jesus people marriage, he sees a mirror of himself in his joyous, creative wonder and astonishing beauty. He sees, as only God has the right to be narcissistic, because his, his own joyous experience of his own glory is so far above anything else. He sees something absolutely fundamentally awesome in the varying levels of intimacy in a Christian marriage. He sees the wonder and glory of his own personality when he looks into the mirror of a Christian marriage. He likes Christian marriage. Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. Friend and I had a prophetic word years ago at, at a conference in Bethel, at Bethel Redding, California. So you know how some prophetic words are just they, like they're the cream that rises to the top. No farming illustration from my childhood. But Here's the word, and I've declared it, I've just, I've savored it, I've appreciated it, I've enjoyed it, and I've declared it over many of your marriages. God really loves your marriage. I see God right in the middle of your marriage. I declare that over every marriage within your shop. God's right in the middle of your marriage, and he loves your marriage because he sees himself in your marriage. He sees his image in the togetherness. I'm going to give you a, a, a chance to be saved at the end of this talk. Because if you don't have Christ in your life, you don't have any of the amazing wonders that God wants to give you that are present for the counterculture that he wants to call you to be a part of. Be ready for that. So, Fourfold purpose Christian marriage. One, to profoundly express the infinitely beautiful image of God. Two, to bear children and impart God's strategic vision to children for their lives. Looking at Genesis once again, letting the word do the work. Genesis 128a. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. You remember that God, when he made man and woman, he said at, that, at the end of, the, of that sixth day, he said, 
he had said, it is good, it is good, it is good at the end of every day. But then he said at the end of the sixth day when he made this supreme expression of his creativity in, in making man and woman, he said, it's very good. And he says, so much so, I want to fill the whole planet with them. Of course, he meant in his order, in, his, in the wonder of his lordship. And even at, at this point, he says, fill the earth and subdue it, anticipating the, prophetically the expression of the expansion of the kingdom of heaven that would come through Holy Spirit-filled Jesus, people like yourself, and, 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 and um, anchored in the blood of Christ, our wonderful Savior on Golgotha's cross 2,000 years ago. But he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And I wonder how Christianity, how Jesus' people are doing so far with that. I'm not going to go negative on you, but I need to give you a, a statistic. Globally, Christian families have an average of 2.7 children per family. 2.7. In the United States, evangelical Christian, Christian families have an average of 1.9. So we're, we're, almost, we're almost keeping up with the population growth. The call of God is for us to pray for family and friends that want to have children. Your prayers make a difference. And the call of God is to pray for family and friends that want to adopt. I just had the joy of talking with a, a, uh, a young lady not too long ago. Uh, shared with me that they're, they're planning on adopting. And I, I think of uh, Patrick and Christina Rose had, and the beautiful expansion of the kingdom of heaven into the lives of those dear children, their poor children they adopted. And let's be, let's be in prayer. And let's have a different paradigm. Let's, let's let God have an opinion about um, how many children we have as, as parents. Let's let, I, if I just looked at you, it wasn't on purpose, okay? How did you do this? Uh, I just know that I was completely happy with three children. I, I, you've heard this before, but I'm going to try, so I'll try to make it brief for some of you who haven't heard it. But, um, for those that have, I'll try to keep it brief. But I was completely happy with my three children. And I thought Brenda was too. But one, one time she says, I think God might want us to have another child. I said, oh, really? <laughs> I was thinking of the money factor, what that would mean, you know. And I kind of, I'll pray about it. I was praying about it. And then this young man gets up in a, on a, and testifies. We had testimonies back in the day too. And he testified, he was actually my youth pastor. He and his wife ended up having, he was so committed to, to being fruitful and multiplying that they had 13 children of their own, all home births. And he, he took over at the church I left to, to start this church. And he pastored there for many years and then one of his sons took over and pastors, pastored there for years too. So, he gets up and he says, you know, besides yourself, there's nothing you can take to heaven except your kids. And God, 
voice was on that for me because I wanted another child in heaven. And I'm so glad we had another child. Megan waved at us. Megan's husband, John, is that fourth child. And Megan and John have given us grandchildren for Medford. We have some in Santa Barbara and some just south of London in the UK. But we also have delightful. I love my kids just as much as my grandkids, just so you know. I do love them all. Then it says, fill the earth and subdue it. We have a great opportunity to expand the kingdom of heaven. To teach our children to expand the kingdom of heaven in themselves, their region, and globally. To impart to them a purpose beyond themselves. To move beyond that common thing that parents say nowadays most commonly, I just want my kids to be happy. Which can unwittingly impart to them a certain self-centered hedonism that goes after the greatest pleasure for, for the moment in their teen and, and young adult years. The purpose of life isn't for our children to be happy in material worlds at worldly goods and activities. The purpose of life for them is to themselves be fruitful and multiply and, and see the whole earth subdued to Jesus Christ the King. So they will bow their knee and say before the last day, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and themselves experience the wonders and astonishing beauties, wave after wave of beauties of the kingdom of heaven. This is the purpose for our children. We must call them to, to a mission bigger than themselves. We must call them to purpose. The rate of suicide among those ages 10 to 24 in America increased nearly 60% between 2007 and 2018. My brothers and sisters, my friends, these things ought not to be. The cure for depression and meaninglessness Loneliness, isolation is to hook arms. To hook arms with a singular, supernaturally joyful and intoxicatingly affectionate spreading of the kingdom of heaven, the gospel, and the wonders of King Jesus to people. Dr. Z. Cohen, a psychiatrist who treats both adults and teenage patients in New York City 
and is also on faculty at Cornell University, has said, we can only speculate about the myriad of forces driving this uptick in suicides among young people. I think, he, said, he says, I think that many young people would agree that for young people, things have become more complicated. You have a lot of young people struggling with depression, anxiety, isolation, substance abuse. We have so many ways to connect virtually, but very few of them allow us to be truly intimate with the people we care most about, our family. So easy for people to connect with people who are like-minded, and yet there's a decrease in real family intimacy. Around here, we think it's overwhelmed, might be overwhelming, but you know what? The beauty of all this is that we can make a difference, and each person we can make a difference for, for is worth making a difference for. Tom, you hand me uh, one of those uh, tissues right there with the whole box. My notes do not say cry here. Thank you. Point three, the third of uh, a, a fourfold purpose of marriage. One, to provide, to profoundly express the infinite beauty of the image of God. Two, to bear children and impart God's strategic life vision for them. And three, to provide a perfect context for the enjoyment and the blessing of sex. I don't expect to cry during this one. <laughs> Genesis one twenty-eight. It's in the Bible. God blessed them. Notice what he blesses. He blessed them. Them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. That involves sex. No brainer. Fill the earth and subdue it. And Genesis 2.22 talks about them becoming one flesh. And God gave uh, Adam in heavenly anesthesia, he went to sleep. Then the Bible says, the rib which the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman. I love this next phrase. And God brought her to the man. God was right in the middle of that wonderful experience for man and woman. And I know they meant it sort of facetiously, but I can't help but think in the language of the Spirit, the English phrase for the Hebrew that Adam said is this phrase. Whoa, man! Yeah. <laughs> I think if you read the Song of Solomon, you might agree with me that rabbis wouldn't recommended that 
the ancient Hebrew young people not read the Song of Solomon until after their age of 30. <laughs> Martin Luther comes on the scene in the Reformation in the mid-1500s, and he says marriage is not a lesser spiritual condition than being a monk or being a priest. It's just as high or even higher if you're called to marriage, and he himself married gal named Kate, a former sister in a convent. And after, after hundreds of years of seeing sex as within marriage as just a way of keeping people from sinning, all of a sudden we're back front and center to the biblical New Testament view Old Testament 2, Song of Solomon, that sex and marriage is just an awesome gift from God and should be fully celebrated. First Thessalonians 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passionate lust like the Gentiles. My friends, the Gentiles, those that don't know God, uh, they're given over to every possible expression of, of, of sexual expression imaginable. And the Apostle Paul is saying that's what the world does. I personally don't feel obligation to try to fix that until they get saved. But once they're saved, Paul has another plan. God has another plan, and Paul expresses it. Not in passionate lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Once you know God, there are boundaries for joy, this joy. And there are boundaries that bring the fullest expression of the delight of sexual pleasure. I like how John Stott put it, who himself, through his whole course of his whole ministry, was an honored, honorable British theologian, pastor of All Souls Church in London, and also a chaplain to the Queen for years and years. He said this, I'm going to read it once, you'll read it with me, every word has meaning, I don't want you to miss it. The teaching of the Bible emphasizes that opposite-sex marriage is the God-given context for sexual enjoyment and forbids it in every other context, whether before marriage, fornication, or outside marriage, adultery, or in a same-sex relationship, or in a solitary sexual experience. That's the teaching of the Bible for people that know God. That's Christian ethics. And the sad thing is that the world, in all their doctrines of mis what they're doing out there, because of TV, because of the internet, because of this pushing, this pushing... Um, onto people that know God of the, 
of the out-of-control mores and practices of the world at large, what Paul refers to as the Gentiles here, many, many Christians are buying into it as if it's normal. And the call of God is to, for us, is to recognize the full enjoyment of the sexual experience. The fullest joy is within the boundaries that God spells out for us. Someone say amen? Anybody? <laughs> and lastly, fourfold, a fourfold purpose of marriage to bless us with a supremely interesting life companion. For those with the charis, the charisma, the gift of singleness, God is their supremely interesting life companion. And for those that us that, us that have the gift of marriage, God is a supremely interesting life companion, but also our spouse is a supremely interesting life companion. Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. In the, in the Hebrew, the word for uh, um, helper is uh, someone who corresponds to you. It's not like you're, a guy is the journeyman and the wife is the apprentice. And the journeyman, the, the, it's not that, that the, the guy has a vision for life, that God has plans for his leadership, and the wife's total and supreme job is to subjugate her giftedness, her dreams, her joys, and, and delights in the kingdom of God and life just to serve her husband's dreams. This is something that's been a mistake that's been made down through the years in understanding this verse. Um, the idea is a, a correspondence where there's mutual serving and blessing. I'm going to give you a quote from a Puritan writer, John Cotton, during the Puritan revival. And it is a revival. I, I'm sorry I have to um, say, Pur I agree with C.S. Lewis when he said that one of the greatest tragedies in English literature, in our attitudes towards the Puritans, is that Puritan became a bad word. Definition of Puritan I saw recently on a documentary is, Puritanism is the, the thought that somehow, somewhere, in some way, somebody might be having fun. <laughs> That's not what Puritan was. There was so much joy in the Puritan revival. And one of the greatest, what, about marriage, they, totally reveled in the delights of sensuality within marriage. And, but they also focused on the fact that the husband and the wife are on pilgrimage together to the celestial city, like Pilgrim's Progress, and there's a, a mutual serving and companionship to get the fullest blessing spiritually out of their journey by serving each other um, spiritually. And John Cotton, the Puritan writer, put it this way about women. Women are creatures without which there is no comfortable living for man. <laughs> and the Puritans asked the question when young people were about to, recording and were about to become engaged, 
Puritan pastors ask this question. Is this person you want to marry someone you are just madly in love with now? Or is this someone you will be in love with 10 years from now or 20 years from now or 40 years from now? Because you want to think in terms of the depth and richness of companionship in the banquet of marriage and not just focus on a high-octane romance in the moment. It's like going to a banquet and only eating one or two items when there's a wealth of great food. And in America, it's like if the romance is gone, we throw that spouse away and get another one. And romance doesn't have to go away, believe me, but there is such a depth of joy in the journey that's possible. That's what the call of God is for. This quote from Elizabeth Elliot. There is no perfect life, no perfect job, no perfect childhood, no perfect marriage, and no perfect set of people who will always do what we expect them to do. What we have is a perfect God who's able to lead us through this imperfect life with unfailing strength, incomparable wisdom, and infinite love. Hallelujah. In our life journey, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Life can be complex, but I want to leave you guys particularly because I know more about that with regard to marriage. I keep things pretty simple. I live my life trying to give service to God and my generation. And I try to serve my wife. And out of that comes incredible love for myself experientially. Deep satisfaction, supreme fulfillment and happiness Married couples sometimes, you know, they've, they've talked to me over the years and their basic, their basic desire is, can you please, Pastor Dan, change my wife or change my husband so my needs are met better and I'm more fulfilled. And the secret, my friends, is to not put your eggs in that basket at all. Just believe Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Get autonomous. Don't give your spouse power over your joy or your peace or your fulfillment. Don't give them that. You have responsibility before God to be perfectly autonomous and filled with love. Your love tank filled with God, filled with love yourself. And out of that, it's, there's an ease and a joy and lots more laughter. Lots more laughter, lots more freedom and liberty and an and a, and a opportunity to fully express and experience the great, amazing gift that marriage is. Last verse, Ephesians 5.28. Husbands, I think it's true of wives too, but husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Why? Because he who loves his wife loves himself. Hallelujah. <laughs> Stand up. Stand up. The grand fourfold purpose of marriage, express the infinite, beautiful image of God, impart, bear the children, impart God's strategic life vision to children. 
provide a perfect context for the enjoyment of the incredible gift of sex and to bless us with a supremely interesting life companion marked by understanding the secret of serving or blessed. The Greek word makurios, blessed, is happy. It, it is more happy to give than to receive. Great way to live. If you don't have Jesus in your life, you don't have the supernatural blessing of marriage or the potential for it, or any of the other kingdom wonders that God wants to give you. His heart aches for you. His heart aches to have intimate friendship with you and to give you one blessing after another. Will, he, will not he who spared his only son freely give you all things? This is all related to having Jesus in your life. If you're ready to receive Jesus into your heart, into your life right now, say this along with all of us right now after me. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I call upon you to save me. I believe God raised you from the dead. I confess you as my Lord right now. And my friends, according to Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised you from the dead, you shall be saved. And also, if you call on the name of Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. My appeal to you, to all of us who received Christ for the first time just now, is to tell that Christian friend you most respect. Text them today. Call them today. Let them know. They will help disciple you into this amazing, happy, peaceful, supernaturally joyous life that God aches for for you and him to enjoy together. He, he wants that. Amen. So my friends, we love you. God loves you. We'll see you next time.